Welcome to the CEO of Destiny podcast, where you will find the tools to fulfill the purpose of your generation and wildly succeed in the marketplace. And now your host, Andre J. Benjamin. may not be seen just in certain environments. Certain environments cause for things for her to feel that comfort to be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. And so after, you know, testing it a few days in a row, it was clear that when she moved, she could do this learning task. And when she sat still, it was a struggle. And so I was able to say, okay, I can harness that at home. Not that she should be allowed to be moving and distracting all the time, because that's the other thing. Um, we can say, well, I'm body smart. I have to move. I have to do this. I'm music smart. I have to tap my pencil all the time, you know? No, not if it's going to distract other people, not if it's going to be a bother. So even in a classroom, if a child knows that they have body smart or music smart, um, you figure out ways. So, so one of the tricks I know um, Kathy talks about in her book is if you have a music smart child and they want to tap rhythms all the time, you teach them to tap with a pencil on their knee because they're not distracting anybody else than if their legs under the desk, right? As opposed to yeah. just kind of bebopping all over the place in the classroom, you can't do that, right? And even at home. Um, so it's not an excuse for bad behavior. That's what people need to understand. But I really think a lot of the kids in the school system who are labeled as ADHD, first of all, they're just little kids and little kids are wired to move, right? Absolutely. And so I think one of the hard things in school is that we tell five, six, seven-year-olds they have to sit still for seven hours a day that's just not the way they're in the real world. They're overstimulated uh, all the time. I mean, information is changing so rapidly and they're, most of their teachers are on some sort of device even during the day while they have them working. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it seems like a futile effort to have. It is, stay. but you know, I think, you know, to say to it, you know, you're ADHD, I, no, you're a little kid. And then if your body's smart also, that's two reasons why you just need to be moving. And that's remember body smart are. kids learn when they move. Right. So if you can find ways, um, I've heard of classroom situations where teachers are really aware of this and maybe they have they must have administrators who are on point with it all. So they offer um, those like bouncy ball things to yep. kids who want to move and they can just sit and, and they're just doing this little thing. But that's enough. Right. And, and so the schools that are really aware of child development try to find ways to accommodate. Absolutely. So. Uh, once you discovered this about your own child, what other, you know, of the other smarts really have hit you? And then what kind of common feedback have you seen from other parents about smarts that they're discovering with their own children? Because I know at this point you're getting feedback about the work because you already got feedback about the, the, you know, the resource portal that you created. Now with the, with the tool in parents' hands to almost take it out of and, you know, you know, blessings to Howard Gardner and the work and the foundation of work, yet at, it can be very intimidating for a parent to sit down and they're going to, well, I, I don't know anything about pedagogy and I don't know anything about curriculum and all, you know. So right. the way that it's in common language, which, common language in which people can digest, talk about some of the feedback you're hearing from parents about the things that they're seeing with their own children and some of the, man, these seem to be more prevalent smarts that are maybe not even that those are the children's dominant ones, but they're the ones that they find makes them the most successful because, you know, their parents and their edges, their school, you know, their, their teachers are like, oh yes, this is the way you learn. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. So that was, that was my goal was to, you know, specifically for homeschooling parents in my case, cause that's, that's my wheelhouse, but Absolutely. I know that, you know, other parents can read my book too, because, um, the whole point of my book was to say specifically, if you're a homeschooling parent, or if you care about talking into your kids with education, what are some practical tips and tools that you can do um, for your child who has this smart uh, strength, or you want to shore up this other smart strength? What are some very practical tips? And so, um, you know, for example, the bouncy ball thing, you know, you can do that at home. And if you have a body smart child, one of my suggestions would be buy one of those balls at your house. Don't demand that your child sit at, at, a, at the table, at the kitchen table or at his desk or something like that. Um, my daughter spent a lot of time up in our tree in our backyard because she's also nature smart is a high one for her. So it's very interesting. I'm not very nature smart. That's probably my number eight out of all of them. And I didn't get it. But if she could go outside and she could just climb up in the tree with her book, something made a difference compared to sitting in the living room with that same book, you know, and she didn't get to go all the time. Um, no, but you created opportunities because of this difference. Yes. Yes. Uh, my other daughter, um, one of her top smarts is logic smart. And so those are the ones that think with questions. She was the one who, if you think about it a different way, was always challenging me in different ways. You know, mommy, why this? Why that? Um, and what's cool about it is that because I knew about the smarts and I knew that about her, I was able to not take it personally. And I was able to not think, oh, this child needs to be disciplined because she's asking questions. No, this was her way of learning and processing and thinking. And of course she needed to be respectful, um, but it's not a bad thing when she came and said to me, probably 13 or 14 years old, mom, why do I have to study a whole bunch of science in high school? I'm not feeling called to a science career. And <laughs> what she did was she had actually kind of written out a whole I don't know if she wrote it out, but she thought it out a whole argument of why she shouldn't have to study in-depth college level prep science for her. I love <laughs> and it. she was logical and she Stating made sense. Yes. <laughs> right. She wasn't being argumentative, but she had figured this all out. And I had to acknowledge that she had a lot of good points. And at one point I said to her, well, but what if you change your mind and you're a high school junior and you realize God's calling you to the medical field or something? And she said, well, Either that'll be my fault, won't it? I'll either have to spend more time in high school or I'll have to buckle down for two years and really dig in, but it'll be my decision then. And, you know, I, I'm not one of these radical unschoolers where I give my kids, you know, free reign of our household or anything like that, but I, I could see her logical thought process and her questioning in a meaningful way. She really wanted to know. Um, and that was to know that is really good for relationship because I think a lot of times, um, if a child's smart strength is not ours, we can butt heads with a kid, right? And yes. But if we know where we're coming from, where they're coming from, it actually helps relationship. And that's the bottom line with parenting, right? Is we need yes. to be in a relationship with our kids and then we can facilitate everything else. Well, and I, what I love is, can, can you go back to the time when with each of those children and then uh, also what, you, what you're hearing from um, other parents now as, as your resources out, uh, right. what, when they, when you begin to walk them through get, getting some language about what it is that was a, an advantage for them, you get what right. I'm saying? So it's, oh, yeah. you know, hey, you know, this actually is a, a strength for you. You seem to really do well for that because one of the things, uh, our, our tensions is 
uh, as my wife and I, is that I, I try to keep a, a, for years I've kept a strengths journal of different things. Now I don't tell them everything that in it when they, and when they're at the right age, I'm going to let them have it almost as a help to just say, yeah. these are some things we've observed as your parents. But I do want to give them some language around when they say, man, I seem to do well. And I say, well, how do you feel right now? And I say, well, you know, that's called this, you know, right. can you get, can you take us back to some of those conversations and what that did for your relationship with schooling your child and how they felt? Um, it, it, <laughs> it actually helps an awful lot. Um, so I guess going back to the logic smart. So my older daughter um, was a later bloomer when it came to spelling, right? And if we think about English spelling, it makes no logical sense whatsoever. <laughs> um, and one of the things I was able to tell both my I love kids, how you highlighted that. <laughs> Go ahead. I was an English teacher. It makes no sense. Yes. Um, so, but to actually say to the child who's struggling with spelling, because Abby was a more natural speller, but Rachel was not, to be able to say, you know what? Um, you're thinking logically about how this word should be spelled. English is not logical. That actually shows the child, I'm not dumb, right? Okay, here, yes, what I'm thinking makes sense. And, and again, it empowers the child to be able to use that, that language and to say, honey, because you're using your logic smart right now, you see that that doesn't make sense. Now we still need to spell it the standard way. We can't reinvent the language, <laughs> but you know, here's why, and here's how we can get at that. So that would just be one, um, I guess, simple example. But I have been hearing from other parents that, like you said, to give the children the language of what those smarts are and to explain it and to use that language in your home. Um, it really is empowering. Again, not to be an excuse. It's not like, you know, okay, I, I can ignore the whole entire family because I'm self-smart. <laughs> no, <laughs> but you can say, you know, I'm self-smart. So mom and dad, I need, I need an hour. I just need to go into my room. I need to journal because a lot of self-smart people, they journal, right? That's how they process the world. Um, I need some time rather than stomping off and slamming the door, right? So when we give our kids the vocabulary um, and, and ourselves the vocabulary, uh, and I've been hearing from all kinds of parents who never heard the terminology before, and it really is helpful um, as they apply it and think about it with their kids. So you have a child that's picture smart, and yeah. they're frustrated because currently they may have a teacher because here, I, I want to dig into some, a couple of different scenarios so that you can help some parents that are, because, you know, some parents have the uh, opportunity or they've made the opportunity to homeschool and then others still have their children in there. What would be some helpful ways that they can almost cue their teachers or provide help to their teachers of saying, hey, this is something. So you have a picture smart child and they might be bored because the classroom is not engaging them, what would be some recommendations you would have for that parent to, to when they get their child one-on-one, -on -one, but then also when they go back to the classroom, because they do have those opportunities to meet with the teacher. You know, if they have a receptive teacher, I would talk to the teacher and I would say, you know, would you be willing to read a little bit about Gardner and Armstrong? Would you be willing to read Kathy Cook's book? I'll buy it for you. <laughs> um, you know, they, the, a classroom teacher might not respond to my book, but they might, right? Because they could see the applications for the classroom as well. You can, you can apply it across the board. It's just that, you know, my, my target audience was homeschoolers. But to go to that teacher and say, could I buy this book for you? Because I think it would really give you some good language and some helpful stuff. And then maybe something simple like that, just to say, 
you know, I know that my son is picture smart because, you know, when we're, when we're at church, he doodles during the sermon. And I know that it helps him to understand because we talk about it after. And so I've learned that he learns by doodling. So if you see him doodling, you know, on a scrap piece of paper during your lecture, don't assume he's not paying attention, you know? So you can, you can give teachers really practical insight into the things that you've observed so that, because I think a lot of times, you know, they're, they're overwrought. Teachers are overwrought and they're overstressed. And, and I think sometimes they just are like, okay, children all fit into the box because I'm stressed here. But if you can give them a tool and you can say, I know that you need respect. I can tell you that this child doing this thing is not disrespectful because he's picture smart. I think that can help teachers relax. That right? was, that right there is massively true. I, I, my, I had a passive instruction. And when I was teaching, I would be frustrated because there would be some people that were always drawing and I'm thinking, and then they'd say, Oh no, Mr. Benjamin, look at my notes. And they'd show, and they'd have these really extensive notes. But at the time, as you're instructing, it looks like they're goofing off and they're not paying attention. They're not making eye contact. They're not really connecting. They're not really contributing anything to the discussion. But if I ask them a question, like, I think I'm catching them off guard. And then they say, oh, you said this, this, and this, and this. And I, they remind me of something that I didn't even remember saying. And it's like, because they were taking detail that that action of doing pictures brought yep. something alive in them. So I, I love that. What what would you say to parents who don't feel qualified? That is a conversation that I've had with many parents is they don't feel qualified with all the, we're, we're in the information age and overload. And so because of people feeling that, it, you know, I, I heard parents talk about the frustrations when everything went remote um, because they say, of course, with their own schedule and their job and everything, everything was kind of thrust upon everyone with the modifications that the planet went through. And you know, I don't know if people will watch or listen to this, but the global modification that everybody went through, it's an overplay word that I'm not going to say. But right. with that being the case, when when they had when all those adjustments were made, they would say, man, I just feel so I, I just realized I'm not I'm not qualified to do this. I can't and and I don't believe that. I would tell them I'd say, no, it's hard, it's work for all of us, but maybe it's we're trying to, you know, you know, fit fit a, a, a square peg into a circle, you know, because we're yeah. trying to do it based upon somebody else's playbook. Take this playbook and make this work. So can you speak to parents who feel inadequate and inept at really drawing out greatness out of their children? Thank you for listening to today's episode. Do us a favor. If this was useful in any way for you, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Reviews will allow others to easily discover the podcast. If you'd like more information and to receive a free download, rediscover your destiny, go to ceoofdestiny.com. Thanks again and tune in next time.